Welcome to the Midnight Podcast. I really appreciate you stopping by and checking out this episode. I hope you enjoy this story that is called The Boy in My Dad's Basement Was Called Pain by Trash Tita on Reddit. I really hope you enjoy it. Huge shout out to my patrons for helping make these uh, videos possible. Really appreciate your generosity. Anyways, let's get started. Five years ago, I met a boy in my dad's basement. He was called Pain. I couldn't remember the feeling of pain. Was it a physical and real sensation that clenched in your chest? Or was it a numbness that slowly took over, plunging you into unbridled despair? I didn't know what despair felt like, or on the opposite scale, I had never felt joy or hope. I was told that I smiled with a cardboard look in my eyes, and I cried when I knew I was being watched. I didn't cry even when my mom died. What was the difference between pain and agony? Was despair something you could overcome? And how much pain would you have to be in, whether mental or physical, for it to take hold? I knew pain existed in other people. In me, however, it was null. I had vague memories of feeling it as a kid. I remembered stubbing my toe and falling off my bike, skinning my knees. But I didn't remember the pain throbbing in my large toe or the stinging in the grays in my cut knees. I lost my pain first, followed closely by my happiness, and then my ability to feel sad. It felt like drowning, in a way. Like one day, I stopped feeling altogether, and one by one, my emotions became null. I was told by friends at school that I had a cardboard face. I smiled when I had to smile, easily mimicking others around me. But it wasn't real. The world became black and white, a grayish nothing swirling around me where everything just happened with cause and effect. I laughed at jokes that I was supposed to laugh at and cried at movies that were supposed to make me sad. I was a good actress. I can't pinpoint a specific time or date when I lost all of my emotions, but I never really thought about it until I looked around at my mother's funeral and found myself surrounded by emotion. Happiness was something I could live without, I guess. Life was boring anyway. Sadness and pain, however, were emotions my body needed to feel human, to feel real, like I was alive and breathing, and not a buildup of atoms made up into flesh and organs. Pain was part of my soul, and without pain, I didn't feel real. My mother's funeral was suffocated in it, the thing I craved. Everyone was crying pulling faces and sobbing into their hands, raw eyes and twisted lips that didn't make sense to me. I didn't feel sad. I stood next to my aunt with my head bowed patiently waiting for it to be over. When I discovered my mother was reduced to nothing on the sidewalk, a tangled mess of limbs and bisected torso, I did what I always did. I waited for a huge wave of ice to slam into me, a heaviness in my heart, and a suffocating feeling choking the air in my lungs. I waited to be breathless. But that uh, was what everyone else felt like, right? That was the feeling of agony. It was supposed to feel like a blunt knife, like the world was crumbling around you. I didn't feel anything except mild annoyance that the cop detailing my mother's death was spilling his drink all over the table. Are you okay, Maury? kept asking me the same question with eyes wide while I sipped my own mocha. The man had sympathy eyes, sympathy lips, sympathy everything. 
Mom was well known in town, so of course his hands wrapped around his tea were shaking. Because if you're not, you can tell us. Here for you. School offers. This is a difficult situation, and when you're ready, we'll need to contact your... Or did you say? Lived again. The cop's sympathy speech started to fade in and out like crashing waves. He kept shooting his colleagues worried glances as if to say, I think she's in shock, but I wasn't in shock. I didn't feel numb or confused or even angry. I think they were waiting for another answer, which wasn't yes, which I kept repeating to them with my cardboard smile. They heard it a lot from grieving family members. Yes, I'm okay. When really, they were breaking apart inside. But in my case, I really was okay. Pain came with shock, confusion, and anger. I didn't feel either of them. In fact, my mother's death was more of an inconvenience of anything. I was still in my junior year and legally a child, so that meant going to live with my estranged father. I studied emotions a lot. Whether it was the people around me or the characters on TV... I had mastered the ability to contort my expression into manufactured sadness and curl my lip like I was crying. I could even squeeze tears out if I was desperate. With the cops, I figured that was the best thing to do to make them leave and break the awkward silence suffocating the room. So I scrunched up my face and forced myself to really cry, timing each tear so it was perfect. It was harder when I was really trying to get rid of someone. Still though, it worked. They left after giving me numbers for therapists and offering their grievances. I fake sobbed my way to the door, waited until their fancy car was gone, and then went upstairs to finish my math homework. I did my best to appear sad at mom's funeral, but the more I contorted and scrunched up my own face in the mirror and timed myself when to start crying, I started to wonder if I was a sociopath. When I googled the inability to express emotion, the word sociopath came up a lot, and with it came mimicking and copying emotions to suit them. That's what I did. When my aunt came to comfort me after the funeral, I burst into uncontrollable sobs and allowed her to wrap her arms around me and tell me everything was going to be okay. Half an hour later, I was downing strawberry daiquiris. I caught my cousin side-eyeing me, taking advantage of the open bar. Apparently 17-year-olds who had just lost their mother were allowed sympathy drinks. It's not like I felt anything anyway. I just got super talkative with Grandpappy about the state my mother was found in. When his expression started to harden and he became less polite, my younger cousin dragged me outside. I don't think he appreciated the amount of detail I was going into about how my mom was found, though I couldn't help it. I didn't have my own pain, so thinking, fantasizing about how my mother had felt before she died, actually feeling it, drowning in what I had lost was a kind of comfort. It wasn't until my cousin was grabbing my arm and hissing, What the hell is wrong with you? Did reality hit me. I blinked, noticing the ambience of the crowd was gone. I was outside standing ankle-deep in snow. It was mid-December, Christmas time, and we were dressed in black. My aunt's summer house was lit up. I thought it was beautiful, though I wasn't sure what beauty really was. The lights were in memory of my mother a golden blur illuminating the dark. Everyone else thought it was beautiful, so naturally, I did too. I was partially aware of Grandpappy in the bathroom throwing up, and my aunt was crying. I didn't remember moving from A to B inside to outside, having no emotion screws with your sense of perception. I didn't realize it was snowing, or even that the season had changed. 
Mom died when the leaves in the yard were still brown. I didn't even feel the graze of cold air on my cheeks. My cousin was shivering. I wasn't cold. I was never cold or warm or anything. I was always the exact same temperature, which was... neither. Sometimes it felt like living in a suit of metal. He was yelling at me, though I was in a fugue state, barely aware of my surroundings. His words sounded like blah 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 in my skull. If I could describe it, I would say it sounded like he was talking like a sim. Like, blardong, bleh, 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 bleh. Sometimes I blocked people out, which was easy to do when I didn't feel anything. I just turned the world into my own personal cartoon. I watched the boy's breath dance in the air until his voice burst into clarity and reality drifted back into focus. The sounds of Grandpa's vomiting inside prickled the back of my mind. You have crocodile tears. My cousin's tone bled back into my ears. Stop with the fake crying. You're embarrassing yourself. You're not even sad. He stepped in front of me, his eyes hard. Jasper had always jokingly called me a robot at family gatherings, but this time he wasn't teasing. I knew you were a freak, Maury, but this is messed up. Not caring about her death is one thing, but talking about her damn corpse with Grandpa... I presumed he was talking about Grandpa throwing his guts up in the bathroom. I didn't mean to talk about the state my mom was found in. My cousin's words scrambled back into simspeak once again. Blah, 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 blah. Like going under a tunnel and losing signal before hitting me in a wave. Anyway, my parents think you've lost it. Like gone completely nuts. Mom wants to take you to a psych ward. I shrugged. So? Jasper's eyes darkened. So? You'll be labeled a total psycho. He stuck two fingers in his temple, miming me having a screw loose. I don't want to be associated with my crazy cousin. The kids at school already hate me. Okay. His lips curled. Okay? Mom wants to throw you in a white room and you don't care? Jasper pulled a face. You don't care about anything, do you? Your mom is six feet under and I haven't seen you cry once. Just crocodile tears. I don't care. I told him crossing my legs uncomfortably. His words should have twisted my gut. I read that nausea came with pain and anger. Apparently it was supposed to make you feel like you were going to barf. I felt the same as always. Bored. I'm not sad. He narrowed his eyes, jumping up and down on his heels to stay warm. Do you mean like, you're still in shock? I shook my head. I'm not sad. A group of mourners shoved past us, and for a moment my cousin looked baffled before he grabbed me by my dress collar and pulled me inside the downstairs bathroom. What are you talking about? I should have taken notice that my cousin did not look pissed or disgusted. He looked curious, like I was this cool new specimen he wanted to put in a jar. Jasper was my least favorite cousin, with him being the youngest, just a freshman in high school, and the most immature. His teasing was more akin to bullying. You don't feel anything? He did that a lot, drawing out his words like a toddler. Nope. Jasper stepped closer and prodded me hesitantly. I was aware he was practically backing me into the bathroom wall, an animal cornering its prey. He cocked his head. You never smile, so what? Do you not feel happy? My cousin's eyes widened before I could speak. He stepped back like I was the animal. You're a psychopath, aren't you? He could talk. When we were little kids, Jasper tore the heads off worms and stamped an already dead roadkill, skewering ladybugs for fun. 
Maybe this thing ran in the family, but that didn't make me any better. Being 17 meant I was still technically a child, so that meant packing up my things and moving across the country. I did question why mom's death did not affect me, though that made me want to mimic others' emotions even more. I studied other people around me, though they did not make sense. A girl in my class sliced her finger open during home economics, screaming, sobbing, her face tomato red. When the class was over, I stood in front of her desk and picked up the knife she had been using. There was no teacher, so I slid the teeth of the blade across my own thumb. I could remember her reaction so well I could copy it myself. The girl squeaked, wafting her finger. Oh God, I'm bleeding. Mr. Carlisle, I'm bleeding bad. When the knife cut into me, I waited for my own body to react. An animalistic shriek clawing from my lips just like the girl, but nothing happened. I just had a bleeding finger, dazedly watching pooling red run down my palm and wrist. I didn't feel annoyance or anger. There was nothing. It couldn't cause my own pain, which made me deliriously obsessed with my mom's death. I knew every detail, every word coming from the detective's mouths. She was found at 8.37pm. I wrote it out, drawing it, even replicating it in my head to get a front row seat. She wasn't breathing, Maury, and there was a significant amount of blood due to her head severing. And there was a significant amount of blood due to her head severing. I wondered if Mom felt anything before darkness consumed her. Was it quick, or did she feel it during her last moments? Pain. Stinging. Slicing. Throbbing pain that made you want to scream and cry. That got your synapses tingling. The most powerful sensation that drove the human body. Did my mother feel the agony of thousands of tons of metal slamming into her? Did she feel her skull cracking apart on the sidewalk? Her brain leaking out of her ears? I found myself craving it like a drug. Trying to hurt myself every day. It started to slow. I pricked myself with a sewing needle. Nothing. Then I got brave, using a kitchen knife. All I could feel, though, was wet warmth sliding down my arm. I was sick of seeing my own blood without pain. I rode my bike to and from school, intentionally throwing myself over the handlebars. All I got were grazed knees and a worried-looking woman who definitely saw me lunge off of my seat, purposely crashing my bike. How do I explain this without sounding crazy? Pain was non-existent to me. It didn't exist inside of me and I needed it to feel human. Without it, I was a robot who talked and breathed, but was I really alive? Don't we have to feel and endure certain emotions and sensations to feel like we are alive? Pain fascinated me. I made sure to physically try and hurt myself every day because in my mind, my emotions were like puberty. Maybe I was a late bloomer. I wanted to feel in my mother's last moments. To revel in it. Maybe my cousin was right. Maybe I was a psychopath. After moving in with my dad, I did my own research. Google listed several symptoms that had sociopathic tendencies. The key symptom I noticed a lot was copying and mimicking others, which was called wearing a so-called mask. I had been doing that since I was a kid. Without my own emotions, I studied others and acted them out in front of a mirror. Sadness. I drooped my face, lowering my eyelids and blinking several times to incite tears. Happiness. I widened my eyes and grinned at my reflection, slightly tilting my head to mimic the kids in my class. I never understood why they were happy over things like toys and books and computer screens. I was just bored. Boredom. 
I drooped my face and put weight on my eyelids, like sadness, but this time deepening my frown. Jealousy. That one was a hard one. I saw it a lot as a kid, though it was hard to copy. Envy. I had to really think about it. Narrowed eyes and twisted lips, I imagined it felt like swallowing knives. Pain was the only one I struggled with. I couldn't understand how to twist and contort my face to really show it, shaping it on my expression, like there was something wrong with me, so surely my father had some kind of record from when I was a kid. If I could find doctor's notes or some kind of diagnosis, I would know why I was like this. Dad was at work and I had the house to myself, and there were explicit rules not to explore the floors beyond the first and second floor, but I needed to find something on paper that told me I didn't have the ability to feel pain. If I didn't, I would continue looking for it. Pain, which was lost, violently, torn from me. I tried Dad's office first, third floor. It was on the long list of rooms that were out of bounds, but weirdly, the office wasn't locked. I opened it up, sliding through the door. Homely. Late afternoon, sunlight filtered through pretty yellow curtains. Dad's office was minimalistic, just like his house. It was rustic-themed, littered with boxes and papers neatly piled on his desk, an expensive-looking laptop and the coffee mug I got him for his birthday. I picked it up, gingerly. Best Dad was printed on the side. The coffee had gone cold. There was a photo of me and Mom. I was seven years old, smiling widely at the camera, while Mom stuffed ice cream in my mouth, her smile, laughing. I could tell my grin was fake. There was another photo of an older version of me, maybe 10 or 12, and surprisingly my younger cousin. He looked even more evil as a little kid, his eyes narrowed like he was planning to laser future me right through the photo. The two of us were standing together, him with his arms folded, pointedly glaring at the camera, and me with a small smile that I was mimicking. We were standing exactly where I was, right in front of Dad's desk, my cousin had his hands wrapped around the neck of a ceramic pig. I could see the contortions in his hands, and the slightest prick of a smile. He was definitely pretending to strangle it. My cousin and me standing in my dad's office as kids was so out of place, which was funny because I didn't remember ever visiting this house or office when I was a kid. Placing the photo frame back down, my attention flickered to the idle screen of my dad's MacBook. When I tapped the keyboard... A password screen illuminated the dim. I had a feeling whatever record Dad had of my medical notes, they were probably in paper form. I tried his drawers. Locked, of course. No sign of a key when I picked around his desk. I did find a rubber band ball, a memory drive, and interestingly, an iPhone 6 gathering dust. It was the same brand as mine, minus my splintered screen. Mom promised me to get me an updated one. I wouldn't have had paid attention to this phone if it wasn't for the Adventure Time phone cover. Pale blue, with the characters printed on the back. I turned the phone around in my palm. Dad didn't strike me as an Adventure Time fan. My first thought was my younger cousin, though he was more The Walking Dead than colorful cartoons. The phone was out of battery, so I plugged it into a charging outlet. Pressing the button, I found myself staring at a lock screen of a young kid maybe 12 or 13 years old, with his arms wrapped around an older-looking woman. The kid was lanky, dark brown curls and freckles. There was no signal or SIM card, 
300 missed calls from Teddy B. I squinted at the screen. 300 missed calls from 2,920 days ago. Eight years. The phone was password protected, though from a scroll through the notifications, I could tell this was a kid. There were Minecraft messages telling him he had something to build, YouTube informing him PewDiePie and Markiplier had uploaded, each notification built an identity, texts from friends reminding him about homework, and Snapchat messages from group chats demanding his reply. There was an email sent 2,910 days ago. I could only see the start of it. Hi, we're unable to contact you at your current address. You can't keep playing these games. Your social worker will be there to collect you tomorrow, honey. I know the last thing you want to do is come live here with us, but there are great children here. You will be welcomed, and it's... The email cut off, and I found myself tapping the screen to try and get through the password. This was the first time I felt desperate. It felt good, like my numb shell of a body was slowly coming back to life. I was reading and rereading the email when my own phone vibrated in my jacket. Dad had texted me. Hey, do you want Chinese food tonight? There's a great place where I work. I can get your favorite. Sounds good. I texted back before switching my phone off. I rolled the kid's phone in my hand, restless. This 12-year-old boy's entire life was in my hands, and for some reason his life had come to a halt in my father's house. Eight years ago. I stood up, taking a different angle and searching my dad's office. If he was hiding something, then it would be in his office. I started with the bookshelf, my mind whirring with questions. There was no logical answer why he had a kid's phone. A kid from eight years ago. The phone was a time capsule, and holding onto it gave me a semblance of feeling. I couldn't feel sad or angry or frustrated, but I did feel irritated. Dad was a college professor. Why did he have an eight-year-old phone? Anger had always confused me. I didn't understand it. But with that phone feeling like it was burning through my pocket, I felt close to it. Anger. It was in reach. I could sense my blood boiling, except there was no urge to scream and cry, no suffocation in my lungs. Pulling out books from the shelf, there were no signs of magical contraptions or sliding glass doors in the wall. However, when my hand lightly grazed the same ceramic pig from the photo frame, something shifted behind me. I saw it in the corner of my eye, movement in the floorboards. Dropping onto my knees, I shoved aside the sheepskin rug, revealing what appeared to be a trapdoor. No way, I thought. Tracing four singular gaps in the floor, my boring college professor father had a trap door in his office. Very Scooby-Doo. The door opened outwards, and I peered down stone steps leading in darkness. I should have been able to feel the chill. My breaths stuck in my throat, but there was nothing. I didn't feel panic or exhilaration. Kneeling on the floor, I took a moment to think about my actions. Dad had a kid's phone and a secret trap door in his office. There was no way he wasn't hiding something. Before I could stop myself, I was already lowering myself into the hole, my feet grazing stone-cold steps. Closing the door behind me, I slowly started to descend. The place was what I guessed was a basement. The hand railing was freezing cold. Why my dad was hiding this place, though, I had no idea. There was no light, so I used the walls to help me blindly find the bottom. Every step was harder to see. A smell hit me halfway down. Chlorine. 
It reminded me of the hospital when I broke my leg at six years old after climbing a tree. I didn't feel anything, though the doctors were insistent on me staying the night. That's what the smell was. The hospital mixed with chlorine and bleach. When my feet landed on cold marble, darkness morphed into bright light. I shaded my eyes, blinking through fraying vision. Too bright. I could barely see in front of me. When I moved my hand, I was aware I was standing on a plush white hallway, the smell of antiseptic tingling in my nose and throat. Starting forwards at first hesitantly, and then I quickened my steps. This was high-tech, even for my father, who had bought a million-dollar condo on top of a mountain with a built-in swimming pool. Still, though, this was far from a basement. He had an entire facility hidden under his house. Reaching the end of the hallway, there were three doors, all of them locked. When I stood on my tiptoes and pressed my face into the glass, I could just make out a bed. A single bed with no pillow or blanket. A peek into the other rooms gave me the same picture. Huh. So, Dad had his own private emergency room? If he was doing medical research, it made sense, but I was still grasping the kid's phone in my pocket. I don't know what led me toward another set of stone steps. This time, the light fixture above was flickering, and the sweet, tangy stink of antiseptic was replaced by the unmistakable stink of rotten mold. The further I got down the stairs, marble became stone, crumbling brick and mortar. The light dimmed, steps making way for uneven rocky ground. Now this was a basement. Not exactly how I pictured. I envisioned a wine cellar filled with vintage alcohol and ancient family relics. What I got, however, was a buzzing light above me barely illuminating the room, and a lot of steel. Taking slow strides, I marveled the room. A rocky basement transformed into what appeared to be a laboratory. Above me, the ceiling was crumbling and the floor was falling apart under my feet, though the work built around it mesmerized me. Machines I had never seen before beeping odd noises. Desks filled with paper and computers and whiteboards covered in notes, clumsily drawn diagrams and crossed out deadlines. I wish I had the ability to feel fear, because my brain wasn't registering everything around me. Like a moth to a flame, it was only seeing things that were shiny. I didn't notice the body-sized lump covered in a white sheet until I was running my hands over it thinking it was a mannequin. Then I was lifting the sheet, and my fingers were grazing ice-cold skin that was almost slimy. I glimpsed a limp arm still strapped down, and then the explosion of Scarlet where her stomach was supposed to be. I didn't feel sick. When my fingers slid across what was left of the girl's torso, I half wondered if she felt pain in that moment before, before my father cut her open. I dropped the sheet before I could pull it up further, revealing a face. The girl was dead. She wasn't the only one. Beyond the shiny things, my mind was attaching itself to smears of blood, decorating stainless steel, and at the very corner of the room, several bodies hanging from meat hooks. I looked closer, glimpsing a toe curling, an arm shift. They were still breathing. Not dead, but part of me wished they were. To my father, these people weren't human. Tubes and wires stuck into them. Crowns of metal glued to shaved heads. I stumbled back, losing my footing for the first time since I was a little kid. Fear didn't exist inside me, but it did somewhere else. So if it was real, where was it? And how could I feel echoes? At that moment, it was so powerful 
so overwhelming, like a tidal wave coming over me, that I actually felt prickles of it. I was suddenly boiling hot, my hands clammy, my lungs filled with poison. I staggered back, slamming into the corner of a desk. I wasn't used to the type of fear I had read about. Unbridled fear that crept up on you, slithering up and down your spine. It was bugs, skittering across your skin and filling your mouth, stealing away your breath. Never stopping or faltering until you were screaming, submitting to the inevitably of the darkness closing in. I felt my skin prickle, paralysis seeping into my blood. I couldn't move when a light tap sounded, cutting through my thoughts. Immediately, I twisted to the hanging bodies, the spindly legs of a spider entangling themselves around my spine. My gut lurched, mouth watering. Was this what it was like to throw up? I forced myself to look closer, waiting for movement. They hadn't shifted. The body at the end was still trembling, swaying back and forth. The needle protruding into the back of his neck elicited more feeling. This time, so close. So reachable. I'd never felt so human, and so disgusted. Swallowing slimy-tasting bile, I heaved in a breath. Hello? Over here? Following the voice, my eyes found exactly what my brain had blocked out. I saw it the second I stepped over the threshold. And then, when I uncovered the girl's body, except my brain didn't want to see it. It wanted to see the shiny steel and spiky needles. The large panel of see-through glass was hard to miss, and yet I wanted to ignore it, to pretend it didn't exist, because then I could prove my own theory wrong. It wasn't fear that tightened its phantom hold of me when I situated myself in front of the glass screen. No, it was something else. The closer I got, the feeling enveloped me, dragging me into bottomless depths. What was it? Happiness? No, I wasn't smiling. Sadness? I gingerly swiped my eyes. I wasn't crying either. Closer. Those bugs crawling across my skin started to dig their tiny, wriggling feet into my flesh, burrowing into my bones. There were three shadows behind the glass screen. The one with her face pressed against the other side was a pretty blonde girl. Her hair pulled into childish pigtails, red ribbons trailing in golden locks. She reminded me of a zombie cheerleader, sharp red smearing her cheeks and neck, ugly stitches patching pieces of her face together. But the blood wasn't fake. Her matted hair was not a wig. She was too thin, malnourished in her cheeks. A flimsy blue gown hanging off her skeletal hips. It was her smile that was causing that sensation inside me. Panic. The sudden feeling of being unable to breathe. Trapped. My body wanted me to run, turn around and pretend I didn't see anything. Except this girl's smile was too wide, unnaturally splitting her lips in half. I could see blood pooling at the corners of her mouth from the excessive stretching. When I looked closer... A lifetime of screams were curled on those lips, stretched and contorted in agony. This girl's entire life had been pain. It never stopped or gave mercy, twisting her into this, the grinning shell who was wearing a human face. Hi! The girl was practically vibrating with excitement. She pressed a bloody kiss to the glass, red-rimmed eyes almost cartoon-wide. I could see through whatever front this was. Her eyes were deep, cavernous, 
Nothing. Empty sockets, hollow of life. I saw no personality past that horrific grin and maniacal gleam. She reminded me of a soulless animatronic programmed to smile and make kids laugh. The girl slammed her hands into the glass impatiently when my gaze wandered, finding the other two shadows. Hey! She surprised me with a laugh and I jumped, my gaze flicking back to her. The blonde smile took over half of her face. Aww, why don't you turn that frown upside down, hmm? Her fingers played an imaginary piano across the glass. I stepped back, swallowing hard. Maury, the girl giggled, tantalizing, scarlet, dripping from her mouth and sliding down her chin. I caught slight twitches in her face, screams that failed to claw from her mouth, cries that muffled on her tongue. She was in agony. Her whole body trembled with electroshocks, her head jolting. Pain. The type that I had been looking for in myself. Before I could hesitate, I was following her hypnotizing voice, pressing my face against the glass. Come on, I know I can make you smile. The blonde didn't make sense as a human being, but as something else, she did. There, I knew you could do it. I didn't even realize I was copying her out of habit. Her grin was so bright, and I felt my own lips pricking into the smallest of smiles like she was pulling at the corners of my mouth. I pressed my fingers, and then the palm of my hand against the glass. The sunshine girl pulling faces on the other side. She was my happiness. The girl was everything I had lost. Years of being unable to laugh or smile, or feel warmth in my chest. She was... My lost exhilaration, my euphoria, satisfaction, bliss, joy, love. She was all of them stuffed into one singular body, which was slowly failing, old and new red seeping from every orifice. Everything I had stolen was bursting inside of her. Hey, that numbness that had wound its way around me for years slowly started to bleed away. My eyes stung, just once but I definitely felt it. The lump in my throat, my cheeks prickling with heat and the heavy weight in my chest. The choked cry came from the floor, the overgrown brown curls buried in pristine white. The boy's voice was strained, already on the brink of sobs. When he lifted his head, he was already crying. Eyes raw, lips curved into a scowl. The boy was older than me. Twenty, maybe. His face, though, was still one of a child. Wide eyes and wobbling lip. He too was sickly pale, almost skeletal, his collarbone jutting out, that same blue gown pooling around him. Are you going to cry? He inclined his head, tears slipping down his cheeks. His face was permanently stained with a mixture of tears and snot-tinged red. This time I did barf, all over myself, making the blonde girl squeak. It was an odd sensation, especially when I could actually feel it. The string of barf clinging onto my chin was at the back of my mind. However, instead all I could see was this man. Everything about him, the curl in his lip and the crease in his own eyes. He had taken in everything that detectives had told me. He knew the details of what happened to mom, and had silently stood with me at her funeral, bearing the brunt of loss that was supposed to rip me apart. He had felt that agonizing, slicing pain ripping through me. Loneliness collapsing into numbness. Every twist of nausea in my gut. 
and the suffocating weight crushing my chest when I was told my mother wouldn't be coming home. Every time I had been dried-eyed with no feeling, no emotion, this man had sobbed for me, something sickly twisted in my gut, and from the crinkle in his expression, the scrunch of his nose, he was already being hit with it. His whole body was shaking, filled to the brim, bursting with what was mine. He was still bearing that loss, every loss, struggling to stand and leaning onto one side, teary eyes begging me to keep my turbulent emotions in check. The reasons why I didn't cry at mom's funeral, why I couldn't feel sad, no matter how hard I tried. This man somehow was my sadness. Please don't cry, he whispered, curling into himself. Please, he sniffled, struggling through sobs. Don't cry. Oh God, please don't cry. Language, the blonde laughed, nudging him with her foot. Her smile was almost delirious. Drugged up or maybe not. Maybe she was just high on happiness. The happiness stolen from me. I'll get you out of here, was the first thing that came out of my mouth. The girl laughed and the man snorted into the floor. My tone was flat like I didn't care. But I did care. The reason why I didn't care was standing right in front of me. The blonde beamed. Her eyes, however, told a different story. Kill me. The cry was alive in her lips, ignited in her eyes. Don't be sad, Maury. She stepped back, almost tripping over herself. Why don't we play a fun game to cheer you up? Fun game? I whispered. My reaction delighted her. Yes, let's play hide-and-go-seek. She closed her eyes. You're it. Hide and we'll find you. I nodded slowly. Okay, first I'm going to get you out of here. The girl was past saving. Both of them were. The more I looked at her, I was finding mismatched skin like she had been stitched together. There were needles stuck into the veins of her neck, scraps of bloody band-aids ingrained in a bruised flesh. She was more of a puppet, a plaything stuffed with my happiness, no traces of who she was remaining, just a pretty smiling face. Is this what my dad thought my happiness was? Already I was searching for a lock mechanism, and needed to get them out. And stepping back, the heel of my foot went straight through a rusty nail sticking through a plank of wood. I didn't even notice, until a sharp hiss of breath caught me off guard. The blonde's loud and bubbly personality had completely blocked him from sight. A third shadow, sitting with his arms wrapped around his knees, primed toes rocking him backwards and forward. His identity stood out to me. I knew it. At least I knew the twelve-year-old boy with freckles. This man didn't even have the shadow of the kid on his lock screen. His head was half-shaved, reddish curls on one side, rugged stitched skin on the other. He tried to hide it, shielding his face when my heel went through the nail. I didn't feel anything, while his knees jerked against his chin, expression crumbling. He tried to bury in his head. He tried to bury his head in his knees, but what was supposed to be running through me was striking him. Every time his body shook, fingers curling. Stepping closer to the screen, like I was observing animals in a zoo, I could see every contortion of agony in his eyes. My mom's death ripping him apart from the inside, his lips twisting into a yell, at my anger and my frustration, my white-hot pain. But what I had been craving for so long, pain, 
He was the one harboring it all, stealing away from my humanity. For a moment, I couldn't see the sharp edges sticking into his wrist and the dark circles under his eyes, the sickening lack of flesh on his bones. I could just see my pain. I fell into a trance, completely aware of myself and unable to stop my body. I picked up the plank, pulled out the screw, and stuck it straight through my palm. He tried to stop it, tried to hold himself, but his body was jerking along with the useless sack of flesh I called my own. A body that refused to give into it. I could almost feel it if I took in every crease in his eyes, every curve in his mouth, no longer in control of myself. I broke my finger with a sickening snap, and this time, he cried out like an animal, teeth gritted, head tipped back. This was what I had been missing. Please. Payne's eyes found mine. Don't. I couldn't. Stop. His scream rattled through me, tears glistening in his eyes. Please stop. This time he was standing up, slamming his hands into the glass, his face full of emotion, full of fear and anger and pain. And while I was numb, while I watched him revel in it, I snapped my index, and then my pinky, my cousin's words coming back to the forefront of my mind. Maybe I was a sociopath. Maybe I didn't just want to revel in my own pain. I snapped my thumb, which was harder. I had to bend it back, snapping the tendons. I wanted others in pain, too. What had my father done to me? Whatever he had done, pain was stealing a part of me, all of my agony. This man was taking it, soaking it up like a sponge. Let us out. His voice lilted into a whine when he threw himself into the glass. You're a psycho. He shoved the others away when they tried to console him hysterical. I had no idea what hysteria felt like. Watching it made me feel almost alive. No, get off me. He battered the glass. She needs to let us out now. But still trapped in my own mind, I was curious. I didn't see a human man. I just saw what had been taken from me. So I took a scalpel from the cabinet and started to carve into myself slowly watching him drop to his knees, my stolen agony turning to twisted madness in his eyes. Pain. I wanted to see if I could cut all of it out of him. I stabbed the blade in, and his head dropped into his knees, shoulders shuddering with sobs. Still nothing. Harder. I dragged the blade, willing it deeper and deeper, slicing through my flesh, layer into layer. I don't remember the blade slipping through my fingers, I do remember coming back to fruition, wrapped in my father's arms. I didn't feel horrified at what my father had made me do. I couldn't feel any of them. Guilt, disgust, anger. They were all in this room. Whether they were behind the screen of glass, shadows I hadn't met yet, or trapped inside the bodies hanging from hooks. There was a new body on the ground in front of me. A man in his early twenties. Memory. My father whispered into my ear. The other memory had a malfunction. He jerked his head towards the back of the room where the dead hung. So I got you another one. I hummed in response. My father's puppet. His warm hands were grasping hold of my blood-slicked arms. Don't worry, honey. His voice was like a lullaby. And I was well aware that I was deeply under my dad's control. 
I got rid of sensation, Maury. I'm getting close to physical. He hugged me to his chest. My head lolled onto my shoulder. Pain was on his knees. Lips curled into a snarl. You're not going to hurt again. The new memory, however, failed to work. His body became another failure, unbeknown to my father. Which meant I awoke the next morning curled up on our family couch to the smell of eggs. My dad's filthy secret still lingering in the back of my mind. There's more to it. But word counts exist. Therapy too. Thank God. That's it. I really hope you appreciated the story. Hope you enjoyed it. Bit of a darker one, I think, in comparison to the other ones we listened to. But nevertheless, if you did enjoy it, please consider liking the video, maybe subscribing if you're on YouTube, or following if you're on Spotify or somewhere else. Let me know what you thought about it. I really do enjoy hearing uh, your feedback. Also, huge shout out again to my patrons for helping uh, make this channel possible with their financial generosity and help and make things go smoothly and all that stuff. Also, there's a Discord if you'd like. Very chill, but you should come hang out, say hello, and... Uh, I guess that's about it. Also, if you'd like to send me a story, if you consider yourself a writer and you want to have your story read on my channel, please go to the links uh, in the description or storiesaftermidnight.com. You can send me your work and uh, have it read on this channel. So I guess with all that said, I really appreciate you being here. I'll see you in the next one.